I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Today's guest, Kurt Sasso, the host of Two Geeks Talking, he is comfortable in his own skin to a whole nother degree. He has no boundaries in his confidence. His track record started 15 years ago. He interviews podcasters, actors, comics. You guys are in for a treat. Kurt Sasso, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Talk to me about IT for 20 years. Oh, gosh. Well, it was my first love. It was literally just what I wanted to get into when I was in high school. I ended up being part of the band, school band, the IT club, I guess you would call it. And I was on the football team. So I was like part of every single niche possible for high school, but not the popularity boat. I wasn't, wasn't in that aspect, but I went from most likely to become a hacker as part of my school yearbook, which never occurred by the way, just saying, and into right into college and into the IT field kind of about pretty consistently, actually. It was it was fun. It was a great industry to be in, especially in the tumulus times of the 2000s or the early, late 90s, early 2000s because of the dot-com bust. But it was really one of those things I just loved actually taking part of. And so I was a system administrator. I was technical support. I've done all of those roles. And then I eventually evolved from that to more data analysts, kind of putting together projects and management data for higher people that were getting paid way more than my How do you marry that to your creativity? I've always said that it's possible to do the same or find the same answer four different ways when it came to the IT field. That was my general assumption because something that worked in the past may work again, but in terms of other avenues to find the same solution, I think that was one of the easiest ways to find a solution in IT. But it also, when it came to interviewing and being on a host as well too, it's like the same question I'm going to ask a thousand people is not going to have the same answer, at least 50% of the time, I don't believe. And that's my data analyst side coming through. But I think it was just something along the lines of what exactly can I get from an answer perspective, from a creativity perspective? How can I accomplish the goals I want to accomplish? And then when it comes to just talking with people in general, like conversations are fun to have. You're not going to get to the answer you're looking for just by talking to a person once. So that's why I like repeat guests as well. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know one of your repeat guests was Mary from Jackal and Hyde. Oh yeah, yeah. She's she's one of them, but I I've had a lot a lot of others as well too. She's a she's a wonderful person, a mother in in Toronto and a comic creator. But I've had other creators that have been on the show. They're battling. There's two people that are battling it out currently for the the most guest spots on Two Geeks Talking, and that's that's Dirk Manning, who's a horror writer out of Detroit, Michigan, and Trevor Mueller, who's a comic writer himself as well too, creating tons of books. So I believe at last count they are tied with six or seven guest spots each. And so I don't know who's going to appear this year. So we'll see what happens, but I think it'll be amazing. But I think they're going to be battling that until they either retire or or die in comics. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me about your love of comics. My love of comics comes back to web comics, really, is I didn't have the money and I was never really into the the big two of Marvel or DC. Not that I didn't appreciate what they have accomplished and created, but I was more drawn to the independent scene of, of web comics. And so when I started doing Two Geeks Talking, I was literally playing World of Warcraft way back when, when it first started with a, a bunch of people on the West Coast and a good friend of mine, Phil, had a list and he had a list of over 4,000 web comics, literally. And this is... 2000 no this is like 1998 to about 2004 it was so organized and so categorized that i could quite literally go every single day of their update schedule go down a list of actual comics that were released at that day and just read and it was just incredible to see the talent and the the independent nature of that scene because it was it was raw it was amazing stories great characters and and the people themselves trying to make a name for themselves was really inspiring and which is why I kind of gravitated in towards the show I've, I've put on for the past 15 years. So I just love the fact that it's there's just so many creative and talented people, but being in the internet and being especially a webcom, there's a lot of little, they couldn't really promote themselves or they were in such an insular bubble that they didn't know how to promote themselves. So I just, it was kind of a, a synonymous collaboration, I guess. Interesting. What have you learned about promoting yourself over all it's, of these years? It's hard. It is extremely hard. It's even worse now after doing this for 50 years. It is. You feel like you're screaming into the void constantly. It is one of those things where if you don't post something every single day or feels like every single hour, people are going to forget about you. And it is so hard to, especially as a show, as you know, I'm sure, trying to get people's eyes and ears towards what you're looking at and what you're creating, what you're promoting and what you're trying to put out there for content and put out there for stories and, and education for that matter. It goes back to the, there are no easy, there is no easy way to literally get your, your name out there other than just keep doing it. There's no one avenue, no matter how many people that have programs or whatever say, oh, this is the best way to promote yourself. No, because that's going to be go- done in about six hours and then I'm moving on to the next thing. So trial and error and just keeping my name consistently out there and keeping up a regular update schedule and a bunch of other little things that I think I've picked up over the years. I think it's one of those things that if you are passionate about what you're doing and you're creating a consistent story and a consistent show or a consistent comic, whatever the case may be, if you're consistent in your delivery and your content, then you're going to see an improved result in terms of viewership or audioship downloads or whatever the case may be. Do you ever like cheer yourself along as you're making mistakes? You like give yourself a little pat on the back? I have to look at the small wins. I don't do that as often as I should. And I, and I really should. And I, I was thinking about this before doing the show here. And it was just like, I've done a lot in 15 years. I, I have never really taken the time to step back and see what I've actually accomplished from besides the names that I've gotten on the show and the creative people that I've gotten on the show. 
but looking at myself, starting this with a co-host for 60 episodes back in 2008, then being a solo host, which is daunting in itself, especially with the fact that I'm an introvert. I just don't show it very well. I hide it under, you know, boisterous, you know, bad hairstyles and verbiage and all this other stuff. But I, I've done a lot. I mean, when I started doing these interviews, we had over 200 interviews in the first year alone. And that's not a small number by any stretch of the imagination. Take it a step further. How long were those episodes? Oh, they were two hours each and they were unedited as well, too. So whatever flubs or whatever faux pas or whatever disconnections, all of that was all in the original content. And so when I transitioned from podcasting to video interviews, it was quite literally, okay, now I have to shorten my time frame. I'm going to comic conventions. I'm interviewing these people. I was doing 15 minute interviews with these people. And I was like, this is way too long from an editing perspective and from a content perspective. But now I'm going to shorten it down to a five minute interview, which is really tight to, for that matter. So you have maybe pick your best three or four questions and ask this person. And so I look at everything that I've accomplished and done. My first comic convention, I did I did 100 interviews in a three-day span. And then the following convention in Toronto, and the first one was in Chicago at C2E2. When I was at Fan Expo in, in Toronto, I did about 250 interviews in a four-day span. It's safe to say that if I've, I've done over a thousand interviews and I can't give you an accurate number because I've lost count. As of this year, currently right now, I have over 400, almost 500 interviews. No, maybe more than that. I forget. About 400 plus interviews on my YouTube channel alone. If I'm bringing back my, my old podcast shows, that's over 600 easy in the first three or four years. <laughs> I don't know how much more I've done after that. Does that help with being an introvert? Yeah. If you talk enough with other people, you're letting introverted people come on an introverted show to become extroverted. An introvert equals an introvert does not equal an, I don't know. Anyhow, long story short is it's hard for introverted people to, to talk, but because I was forced into this role, because I had no knowledge of podcasting, I had no knowledge when I first started of interviewing people and thing. I had never heard one from a comics perspective from the style that I eventually have turned the show into, like inside the act studio, but more introspective and, and a little more deeper than the standard boilerplate questions that you're going to get on other shows. It's just, I want to have a conversation and bring people's knowledge to light, bring their talent to light because it goes back to your promotion on social media or promotion in general. How are they going to do that? And hopefully, you know, I try to bring something like that forward. Do you approach an introvert and an extrovert differently in your interviewing style? No. And that goes back to consistency. I like to have, I have 300 or so questions in a document that I've collected in 15 years. I, every 10 years or so, I may change up the questions. I found a good batch of questions more recently that have fit it really well. It's half of the questions are going towards my own documentary I've been putting together called Little Person Amongst Media Giants. It's because I want to showcase a different side of creative people. It's easy to see talent on the internet. It's quite easy to see that. It's even easier to have them come on and talk about their show if they're passionate about what they're creating. I've done so many of these interviews that you get a feeling out process, as, as I know you're well aware of, of talking with people, whether they're introverted or extroverted. You, you can feel the energy when you're talking with them, whether they're an introverted warm up to yourself or warm up to their comfortable level with you or an extrovert that can take over a show. And that's happened on more than one occasion. So I can't even remember 
names of people that have done that to me on either side. I love what you said about you can ask the same questions to different people and you're going to get a different answer. Like you're never going to get the same answer twice. I feel like even in radio, you know, we're constantly trying to come up with new bits, but you can do that same bit five different ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's so amazing that, you know, especially my last four questions asked at the end of every interview, I've asked that question so many times and maybe I've varied it up depending on on the question or depending on the, the circumstances, but the core questions are, are there. I'll get questions like, well, what do you mean by this question? Or how do you want me to answer this question? Or how open are these questions for me to answer? And it's like, it's whatever you feel in this current moment, because I know a year later, if you come back on the show and I I ask you this question again, or maybe two years, give yourself a break. Uh, how exactly are you going to feel? I've had people come back on the show where they're like, oh, I remember this question. It made me think about this for six weeks after the fact last time I was on. But now that I remember it, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm contemplating. Here's what I'm doing actively in terms of these questions and how they change my life. And so I've even had people say, well, I've had to go to my therapist afterwards just because it was just such an eye-opening experience or an eye-opening batch of questions that I had never been asked before. So I, I love that type of response. Speaking of therapy, have you ever <laughs> gone to a therapist? I know in one of your episodes, you talked about experiencing depression for a bit. Yeah, I, I have, but it's, I did it once, I think when I was young, but it wasn't a depression thing. It was more of a other situations. But the long and the short of it was, you know, we go through that as creative people. We go through these bouts of depression. We go through anxiety. We go through imposter syndrome as well, too. I'm sure that's a big thing. I mean, I think me pushing myself to keep creating and keep interviewing people kind of pushes all of those other feelings aside and just so I can focus in on my, my goals and what exactly I'm trying to do. But I think that we all have to deal with it in our own way. And if we need to get help for those aspects of depression, anxiety, et cetera, then by all means, we should we should definitely do that. Myself, I just focus in on other areas that allow me to just not worry about those feelings at that particular time. Healthy, eh, not so much, but I have other vices I like to to go on and, and deal with when I don't want to worry about that type of emotion. Tell me about the other vices. Oh, I, I'm a gamer. I'm a huge video game player. Like I've been doing that since I was young. Uh, still have my original Game Boy as well too. I may break it from time to time, but a PC gamer, console gamer, I'll play role-playing games and action and everything like that. And it's just, it gets my mind away from things. And, you know, I, I like the worlds that other people are building and maybe eventually one down the pipe, I'll create my own game and we'll see what happens. So That's cool. Yeah. I also, I really love the name of the documentary that you're putting together, Little mm -hmm. Person Among Media Giants. And you yeah. said that you can get A-listers, you can get celebrities, you can get these people that you've connected to at all of these events and talk to them like regular people. Tell yeah. me what's going on with the documentary now. Like all documentaries, it's an ongoing process. And I'll leave it at that particularly only because I have such a long vault of content, a long list of content from audio podcasts from back in the day when I started to more current stuff as of this year. There's so many, it comes back to a filtering process. Like I, I know the avenue I want to go with it. I know the questions are my base. It depends on how am I going to frame this as a documentary? Because it's not like I have a single subject, like a, a David Finch documentary or anything like that, or a Ken Burns documentary. You know, I, I love their styles. I just don't have a single subject because I have so many people I can pull this information from and these questions from, and some are no longer here. Others are still around. And I just love the fact that even with all of these different avenues, and when I start planning it out and when I start putting it all together, you're going to probably see like a couple hundred people in this documentary giving their answers 
answers, but I know that's a really broad-based form of documentary that I don't think has really been done, at least to, to my level. Also, I thought it was really cool, and I know your parents had their opinions on you going back to school in your 30s. Well, they were very supportive. That's the great thing about this. I was in a dead-end job. I was in a call center job for three and a half years. I was taking 60 to 90 calls a day in an eight-hour shift. It was tech support. So, you know, you're going to get pissed, uh, angry people. You're going to get a lot of older customers. So it's a matter of patience and perseverance, but it's a soul-draining, soul-sucking industry. It is something that chews people up and spits them up because of metrics, because of everything like that. It is not an industry that you should go into in your 30s or forever for that matter. Now, is it beneficial? Sure. I definitely have. I called customer support. Obviously I have, you know, everyone has done that, but it's from an, on the other side of the phone perspective, when you're dealing with the questions, dealing with the, the people and all that other stuff, it is soul sucking and soul draining. It is something that will mentally burn you out quite literally. And the fact that it lasted three and a half years, 24 seven call center technical support for two different programs is a testament to me wanting to help people. But I was working with a guy next to me. He was a recruiter for a uh, Canadian hockey and doing this on the side. And great guy. He saw me and he's like, you're so excited when you go to these comic conventions and you interview these people. Why don't you just go back to school? <laughs> I'm like, I haven't really thought about that. So we we chatted and he pointed me in a good direction. And so I went back to school at the age of 33, I believe, or 32 for a double major in visual arts, communication, media, and film with a minor in computer science because I'm a glutton for punishment. And I just think that it was, it was a, an eye-opening experience to see this. Now, when you say visual arts, or when I say visual arts here, what comes to mind for that for you? Actually, my sister was a visual arts major, oh. so I know a little bit about that. What comes to mind is like the color wheel. Yeah. So you've looked at some of my past stuff. So so that's what happened. So visual arts, for me, I thought it was going to be dealing with film production and everything like that. No, it's literally fine arts. Visual arts is fine arts. It is drawing, painting, photography, woodwork, a bunch of other things. We had a machine shop as well in there where we were molding copper and aluminum and making sculptures. And it's fine art. Whenever you see fine art, that's fine art. Anyhow, long story short, my first day at university, I was literally drawing and coloring color wheels. Now, you take a person that's been in IT for 20 years with a very technical, logical mindset, and you tell them to paint. Let's say it was rough, but I survived. And on top of that, I had this major and I had communication, media, and film major as well. So I'm literally looking at the TV and film industry as well as podcasting and, and radio, putting that content together and also doing paintings and sculpture and a bunch of other things. And behind my green screen, I, I have a bunch of paintings that I've done as well too and a couple off to the side as well. Weren't you a model? I, yes, I was an art model as well too. I did that for three years, three of my four years. And now, Were your clothes on or off? Off, yeah. I was nude. That's, no! Oh yeah. I do not see that, but that's awesome that you admit to that. Well, well, about 200 people have seen me naked. I mean, it's not like it's a big thing or anything. I mean, like now that you brought it up, this will be a fun story. One of my high school trips, I went to St. Martin and my own time really out of the country. There are other stories attached to that, but I was with my folks and it was like, hey, let's go to the Caribbean. Okay, sure. 
went to St. Martin. And so the beach we were on at a, on a hotel, just literally not even a mile down off the way, there was a nude beach next to us. Now, St. Martin is a beautiful island and it's a, it's an amazing, you know, French and Holland and just incredible. If you go, just go, go to that and you'll be, you'll have a, a wonderful time. It's a bunch of Europeans that, that go there, which is awesome. The only problem is I'm 18 years old or around that age or whatever the case may be. And I'm walking down this beach and I go into this nude area and it's surrounded with about 80 year old German people, all nude men and women just having a wonderful time at the beach. And so that was my first experience with actual nude people. Now, it's safe to say that it kind of scared me for a little bit because, you know, when you see a person who's 80 years old, that's completely naked. This is what you expect in life. You're going to be drooping everything, literally. It's just wonderful. So fast forward to needing money at university and I was doing well with visual arts and my schedule was fine. And I was like, all right, well, let's, if I'm not TAing, then I might as well get some other cash on the go. And so I signed up to become a nude model. And the very first time I walk into my first session as a nude model, I'm of course wearing my robe and because you have to bring your own clothing and or lack of clothing, I should say. And so I walk in and they're playing very white sexual healing or something like that as I'm walking in. I'm like, really? So that's how that's going to go. And so it, it was one of those experiences that like you're there for three hours, you're standing around with hot lights on you. It's not like it's a sexual thing whatsoever. It's quite literally, okay, guys and gals, you know, give me a, give your shot at drawing me and, and away we go. First session after that was done, they posted all of these images all along the thing. Well, the kicker was I had a session at 8 a.m. the next day in that same room. And so when I walk in, I was expecting myself to be plastered over everything. And luckily the, the teacher at the time decided to take them all down because he said, he said that you know, his students weren't up to the task of, of drawing me for that particular session. So he was kind enough to do that for me, but good times. Did all of your other sessions include music? No, not really. It was, well, it depends on the people. Like they had headphones in or whatever, and they, maybe they were doing their own playlists, but just that initial session was the most memorable as, as it usually is when you take off your clothes in front of 60 other people. So, yeah. Wow. But, I mean, were you nervous? Were you regretful afterwards? No. Were you like, that was crazy? Not at all. No, it's like, it's another, another day in the office for me. Like I, I really, I didn't mind whatsoever. And so it's one of those things where it's like, if you can forget about your mental state and your inhibitions and what people think think about you, you can do a lot of stuff on your own and you can do a lot of stuff in terms of, you know, letting go of what you think is taboo or what you think is like, oh, how is this going to affect me later on in life? And it becomes a fun story just to tell around the thing because half the people won't realize you're telling the truth and the other half will be like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love that message. What else have you done to push your boundaries and do things that other people might find to be taboo? Tab was the wrong word, but I think it's just like, what, what can I do to showcase my talents and showcase my skills? And so besides the modeling thing, I've worked as a cinematographer. I've worked as a producer for a feature film called The Control. And I also done a lot of video work and editing. And, and so when it comes to trying to showcase my talents and skills, you know, that's why this, I have this show. That's why I have two geeks talking. That's why besides doing this show, I like to do video editing and graphic design and podcast editing. And so for higher on for all of these these avenues and these levels for you know those that want to 
get in touch with my my skill sets. And I've even been a guest interviewer on other people's shows as well, too, and asking questions of their guests as well. So it's not like I can't freelance around and showcase my talents. So I think after 15 years of, of doing this and then 20 years in, in IT and learning the tricks of the trade in both feature and short films, as well as producing local access cable show back when I was in university, I've, I've done a lot of little things that really help and showcase what I can do. It's just a matter of connecting with the people out there and saying, hey, look, I can do this for you. Let's get this together and let's get your vision, make your vision a reality. What parts do you love the most? Well, I don't like the editing. <laughs> Let, let's get that out of the way. It's a pain. It really is. But I think it's it's a necessary evil. And I found a little joy in editing more recently, thanks to a pandemic and all that stuff, is let's make the interview I have the tightest interview possible. So it's straight and to the point. I, I don't like the fluff. Hell, I'll even cut my own answers <laughs> down shorter or my own question shorter if I start to find that I'm rambling because we all do that. We all get to into a, a soliloquy and we all get into one of those things where it's like you have great train of thought and all of a sudden you, oh yeah, I have to ask a question or I better do that now. <laughs> so I like editing my own stuff. I like really tightening the the guest's messages down to the the finer points. It's not like I chop crazily like a butcher on a, on a Tuesday, third Thanksgiving, but it's like like, I like to make sure that they're not missing their message that they're trying to say, because a lot of times when you're talking with a person or a guest, it's literally, they'll get into a train of thought, oh, wait, and then I, I'm going to do this. And sometimes you can just merge it all together to showcase what they want to say. And so for me, it's like finding the ability to get their message in a nice, concise format is one of my joys. And I think I enjoy putting together my my lower thirds, my nameplates like I've done here, and I customize it for all of my guests. And I do a custom title images for the YouTube videos as well, too. And you know, I, I like being creative on that side of the, the ball as well, too, because you could easily just do a simple name and an image and away you go. And that might say the message. But if they're not famous, well, you have to show their other talents and their other skills. So the little things make this enjoyable in the long run. What makes a great host? Well, surprisingly, it comes back to our, our interview as well, too, because we touched on that. And that's that's going to be releasing probably the end of, I think, May, possibly. I'll, I'll let you know later on. I have a spot open. Anyhow, it comes back to being a good listener. I'm going to steal one of your answers. It comes back to being a good listener. It comes back to research, like you said, as well, too. It also comes back to if they're comfortable with you. And I think that's a, a huge factor because while we don't dive into too many deep subjects on the show, other than their creative talent and, and what they're currently promoting, there have been times where I'll get an answer or a story based on a question I've asked that I haven't really heard, or maybe an observation in a like, for example, I did an interview with Brock Heasley, and he does a, an amazing comic called Super Fogies, which is about old superheroes in a retirement home battling the evil conglomerate of the retirement home. It's a fun comic put together, and he's done a Days of Future Past kind of, not a reboot, but a, jumped a few years ahead of time. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. But one of the characters is a guy named Speedy. And it's an old speedster. It's like the Flash, but he's old. And he has a walker, and so he doesn't have his speed anymore. And so there's a touching tale where he's having a race with a disabled child in a park. And it's a very touching four-panel scene. And I and I asked him about that. And he said, you know, you're, you're the first person to really look at 
my work and asked me about this. And he goes, that's my daughter in the other image. And so I didn't know about that. And so for a person to bring that up and for a person to say, you know, I'm, I'm glad you observed this and I don't mind talking about this. And so I think that was one of those amazing little moments that I will always draw upon and, and remember that it's like active listening, observing what they're creating, taking a guess at something when it came to that type of situation. And, you know, we had a wonderful chat afterwards and he's been on the show many times in the past as well. So I, I just love doing this. It's a blast no matter how much hard work it is to put it all together. What a beautiful moment. Didn't you work in the disabled community a little bit? Ah, I see where you're going with this one. There was an award show for the uh, Assisted Living Society of Ontario, and I happened to be contracted to do some interview work with some of the people that have won. And I think there's about eight or 10 videos I put together. And so, you know, going to the local areas, like this this agency is, is incredible. Like they're, they're putting all of their effort into helping in the assist for helping the assisted living in Windsor, Essex County. It's something that if you didn't know about it, you would just simply bypass it and not wonder about it. And the fact that I, I happened to get in touch with them, I forget how, but it worked out where talking with these people that have these disabilities that are living like, pardon the expression, regular people, they're living without these disabilities stopping them from doing what they're doing. One person in particular, I think he was blind in both eyes, but he had 3% vision in one or 1% vision in one, has two doctorates and was literally championing for better accessibility options for crosswalks, as well as other connection-based, audio-based, auditory components in Windsor, Essex County. So that was easy for people to cross and not worry about like the bumps in the roads and everything like that. There's little things like that where such a, an amazing person and an outgoing person and you know not letting a disability stop him was truly an incredible uh, chat to have. And that was only a quick five-minute conversation, but his ability to help everyone in the community is a lasting, is everlasting, I think. You seem to be a champion for the regular person. <laughs> I try to be. I mean, <laughs> I, it doesn't matter if you're an independent creator or a professional. Like I like to treat everyone equally. It's great if you're famous. That's why. Wonderful, but in the end, it's how you answer the questions and, and how you want to showcase yourself to the world. And hopefully I can at least showcase you in some way, shape or form without me talking over you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's even your LinkedIn message, right? Like you say, it's your job to help everybody tell their story. When did you solidify that? When did you learn that about yourself? I think it became just a catchphrase in the beginning. And then, well, I mean, to, to be honest, it was a catchphrase. It's like, so I think I've had different versions of it. And I didn't know how to end the show. That was the main thing. I, I never knew how to end the show other than just simply saying, you know, thanks for watching or whatever. It was literally, everyone has a story to tell was the phrasing originally. And then I eventually added, it's up to me to help bring that out. Conceited, possibly a little hubris, maybe. But I think that it came down to really, you're on the show. If you're not promoting yourself, who's going to do it? Other shows, sure. But it's my questions that get you to the answers to tell you about yourself. So in essence, yes, I'm helping you bring your story to light and everyone has a story to tell. And so if I can be some small part of that in not only the platform, but myself as a guest, I think it came down to, you know, what exactly can I help you with to promote yourself? And that's why the show's been going on for 15 years. You know, I'm stubborn. I, I'm not going to stop it anytime soon, but I think it comes down to let's bring on the next interesting person and we'll literally 
be able to tell your story. Have any stories come your way that were unexpected amazingness that were mm-hmm. kind of like maybe a different route than you normally go? How so? I'm, I'm sure I'm... you get recommendations from people or I'm sure you get oh. pitches from people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I do I get a, do get a lot of pitches and recommendations. And I've been actually whenever I, I finish an interview, I'll send a follow-up email automatically and it'll say, Hey, if there's anyone that you think can benefit from this style of show, then send them this link. And so I've had a lot of people where I've interviewed, say, like Madeline Holly Rosing, who's the creator of Boston Metaphysical Society. She said, look, I, I know about three other people. Let's have you get in touch with them. Here's, they'll be contacting you because I've recommended them. And it's like, all right, great, cool. This is something that I'd like to see because at least it's like goes back to asking for recommendations and feedback. It comes back to that level of information you want to get because that's what these emails I send out are like how did you like the questions how did you like did I miss anything is there something I can improve upon little mini questionnaire that I think a lot of people 90% of the time don't fill out because they either don't see it (laughs) or they just can't can't be bothered with it at the time but if they take anything away from those emails if it's the do you can you recommend anyone that you want to have on this show, please forward them this information. If they take that away, I consider that a win. I consider that my my click-through rate of the conversation of the conversion. (laughs) Yeah, I love that you consider that a win. And how do you vet your guests? I mean, if somebody recommends Mm -hmm. someone, are they an automatic in? No, here's the kicker with that. Now, the people that I have on the show, I've already vetted them or they've already been pre-vetted. Now, well, I met someone, sure, that has happened, but I will use searches on the on the person that comes on the show that signs up. And if they don't fit the model of the show itself, if they don't fit the, the guest list that I've current I've had over the past 15 years, and they have some questionable backgrounds from a social political aspect that are negative towards, say, a community that I've built up and that I'm a part of, then I'm sorry, as much as I appreciate you come, you know, applying, I'm going to have to find someone else. This show is not the right fit for you. And I've had that happen more recently, a lot more recently, where it's been like, as much as I'd love to promote you, you don't fit the vision of what I'm trying to do for this show. And 99% of the time, it'll be like, okay, thanks, not a problem. And away they go. Other times it'll be, you know, people downvoting my YouTube videos and everything like that saying, okay, well, I guess I buggered off another person here. So that's wonderful. And move on with the next guest because I'm booked as of this interview, I'm booked until basically July. So it's not like I'm hurting for guests, but I have now the ability to be a little more selective and it's not a very strong selective process. It is don't be a dick to other people. Talk to me about the vision. All inclusive show. I, I want to be able to to showcase all different talents, whether you're part of the LGBTQIA community, whether you're a, an indie creator for the very first time putting together your comic or your, your video film or you're a first time musician, let's say of a geeky nature, or you've created a video game for that matter. That's what I want to showcase. You know, it's, it's great that you have success. It's great that you have things, but I want this to be a platform that you're, it's like, I was on this show when no one else was looking at my work, when no one else was looking at myself as a creative person. And I got to talk about what I'm passionate about. And I, that's what I want. That's what drives me to keep creating this stuff after 15 years. Am I the best at this? No, by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm consistent because I like what you're putting together and hopefully I can help in some way, shape or form. What's your relationship like with your dad? It's good. Really good. What did he think of you getting naked? I think it's something that 
was like, oh, okay, cool. Anyhow, pass me the uh, chicken we're making or something like that. I learned golf, I learned cooking, and I learned finance and, and math basically a little bit from from my dad and more of the cooking and the golf than anything. So I think it's it's one of those things where we're we're very set in our conversational ways. And as he gets older, you know, it's one of those things where he, I, I want to keep picking his brain. And, and I know he has an autobiography. I think he's been putting together for a while and it'd be interesting to read. He's never had me read it whatsoever, but you know, I I've done, yeah, I know. Trust me. I think it's one of those things where it's when he passes on, he'll say, okay, open up this email. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just guessing at this point, but it's, it's one of those things where it's a great conversation. And and I also have a stepdad as well, too. And my mom married and I have a stepfather who's taught me the the more ways of, of cars and taught me he's a denturist as well, too. So I've, I've learned a little bit about that. And I've, I've had a great relationship with, with all of my, my mother and my stepfather and my father as well, too. And it's been a great eye-opening experience because once you, once they're gone, their stories and their history and their knowledge is gone as well, too. So, you know, you have to take every day and, and converse with them uh, as you can, because, you know, they're not going to be here forever. And hopefully I can do the same with the content on the show that I put together as well. It's a, an archive of sorts for the comic community and the entertainment industry of from 2008 on. What do you think your dad will put in his autobiography? I say this jokingly, but it is true as well, too. I had three holes in one in my golfing career, and I had a birdie on 16 at Lakewood Golf Course. And he'll go into the story of it was 289 yards to the hole. There was a downwind that was going 13 kilometers an hour. I was set up as a left-handed golfer. And as I swung the club, it connected smoothly as the ball sailed through the air. Thinking that I went long, I happened to look in the hole and saw the golf ball that had my initials on it squarely in the bottom of the cup. Maybe he might write something like that. Wow. He's a storyteller too. <laughs> Between that and our love of Jackie Chan and martial arts films as well too, and a bunch of other things, you know, we, we've had a good, good relationship over the years. And I can't wait to tell him about this as one as well too, because he's like, oh, you're still doing the podcast? Yep. Well, now here, you can listen to this interview as well. So, hey, dad. I love that. What does your dad cook? Anything. I think he could have been a chef if he really wanted to. He has that that level of detail, but nice, simple meals, simple things like he'll do salmon, he'll do chicken, a lot of mise en place type put together stuff, French and Italian, and just simple, nice home cooked meals because, you know, why, why bother going out when you can make something yourself? I think that's the one thing I really enjoy because the very first recipe I learned from him was carbonara. Now that's a pretty demanding recipe, but he made it simple and fun and, and easy to do. And we've made meat and pizzas together as well, too, when the dough hasn't set right or whatever, and it's become all crazy and bubbly and deformed or whatever. And I think it's just the little things when you when you learn to cook for yourself, that's like, okay, well, what can I put together now? And I've experimented with a ton of spices and a ton of just different things together that have done some amazing results as well, too. Like I, I, li I love spicy foods. I always enjoy it. Like I did a shot of 2 million Scoville units of dragon's blood, which is a hot sauce from the Philippines on a dare, which you can find on YouTube somewhere, I think, if it's still around, called Kurt Drink's uh, Dragon's Blood. So I would love to get on like the, the Hot Ones show with Sean Evans and just have a blast chatting with him and eating to, like really spicy wings, because I'd love to see how my palate has changed from when I was like 31 or 32 to now I'm a 
think I'm 44 right now. I forget. So it's been a while since I've done something that crazy. All right. Well, let's put that into the universe. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, Sean, you know, have me on your show. I, I want to see if I can do a no no drink challenge of your, your hot wings. So there you go. Oh my God. I don't even know that first food that your dad taught you how to make. Can you tell me what that is? Carbonara is a classic Italian dish. It's surprisingly simple. It's like it's ham, any ham and fresh greens if you want, or or peppers or whatever, and you saute it in, in some olive oil and butter. You boil your pasta till it's al dente on the side, mix it all together, and then you crack an egg and put Parmesan cheese or any cheese for that matter, but Parmesan specifically, and you mix it all together as the egg is and it the egg cooks in with the hot pasta and the actual rest of your your ingredients as well, too. And you just plate it. And it's just a simple, quick, fairly quick meal that's very tasty and high in fat as well, too. But it's still really tasty. Yeah. Well, the high in fat thing makes it probably amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, Is there I anything that, that you would like to ask my dad? Yeah. So having such an amazing daughter that you've had, especially working on the show for all these years, how have you helped her creativity from fatherly perspective? And how has she surprised you with her creativity as you've done this show over the years? Well, have you checked out my new theme song? My dad literally begged me to have a song for three <laughs> years. So, and so, wow, he wanted okay. me to sing it. But with my kids just in and out of getting sick, I ended up like canceling going in studio, I think three or four different times. And then the studio owner canceled back. And then I no. just decided to go with the guy who made the backup track. I thought it was good enough. And so we put that in. You'll have to check it out, though. It's season four has a theme song. <laughs> I actually did you know, write the song, but okay. I paid a professional musician to do the track. It's pretty nice. cool. Maybe one uh, day I will actually sing it. Hey, here's something to get out of your comfort zone. Sing your own theme song. That's, I think that's uh, part of the expression ballsy right there. But if you can do it, do it. I'm no shame. I'll give you the golf clap. You know, once you get it done, like thumbs up on that. All right. Speaking of golf clap, go ahead <laughs> and rag away. Let us know how we can support you. Well, it's not like I've done this before, but I'll give it a shot here. It is, of course, Two Geeks Talking, and I'm the host, Kurt Sasso. Of course, this is an interview show with comics, TV, film, music, and video games, and a bunch of other subjects that can't fit into that avenue as well, too. Over a thousand plus interviews, which you can find on our website, twogeekstalking.com. That's the word two, not the number two, tgtmedia.com. But since the website's going through a bit of an update, go to our YouTube channel, a lot more updated, which is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash TGT Media. The podcast is back after 15 years, which you can find on twogeekstalking.podbean.com or search for Two Geeks Talking on any other audio streaming service. Pick your favorite and it'll be there. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for watching me on Better Call Daddy. Oh my God, you are such a pro. That was a one take right there. Love that. Running out of breath and coffee. <laughs> I wanted to say this in the beginning, but I didn't. You have been podcasting as long as I've been having children. <laughs> well, at least you're more lucky than I am. So, you know, that works out. <laughs> How so? Three amazing kids and, you know, I'm still single with the podcast. So there you go. Four kids. I'm sorry. I forgot your other one. Four kids. Then. So you're four times as lucky. You got a lucky clover of kids. There you go. Oh my gosh. This has been amazing. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. All right, you're rocking and rolling today, huh? Oh boy, huh? Well, very interesting afternoon, wouldn't you say? 
Oh, yeah, I'm sending you some good ones. Well, the nice thing is, is that Kurt is comfortable in his own skin. When I was growing up, I don't know if I ever told you these stories, but streaking was going on. And when I played football freshman year, the neighbor and I, sometimes we ran around the neighborhood just in our sneakers and nothing else on. And of course, I did a little streaking in the golf course's pool. However, after getting away with it countless amount of times, the police caught just about everybody else. They finally looked like my number had come up also. So to run through the woods, of course, the police said, stop. I dove into the into the ground. They didn't chase chase us. It would have been quite embarrassing to go to jail completely naked, right? That was the end of my streaking and skinny dipping days. All right. He brought back some good memories. Oh, yeah. Let's look at it a little further. People that are in art feel like the human body is really very close to perfection, that God really made a physical being that is a, a, around the realm of perfection. A lot of people look at it as an art form and as a beautiful thing. So not to have any boundaries when it comes to your artwork, it, it's looked at as, as also being boundless, right? Or being free, uh, letting it all hang out for sure, right? <laughs> but the, the fact is, is that if a person feels completely free, isn't that really what the point is, is that we shouldn't have boundaries or limits in our mind? And if it's taking off all of our clothes and running around the street or being in front of an art class where you're being looked at as a piece of art and where you don't have any well, hang-ups hang -ups or confidence issues, why not? But certainly you, you want it to be where a person is open to it. You know, you, you don't just say, well, your neighbor is posing in my class. Uh, you know, it's your turn. You have to be comfortable with it. You know, there's a show on TV called uh, Naked and, uh, and Afraid, where they not only want you to survive out there with your skills, but to show that you can do it where there's, again, no boundaries, where you're letting yourself, letting it all hang out. Can you really survive just as if you were a cave, a caveman, you know, where it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I can go out and take a camping trip or live off of a mountain and you got your tent. And you got your thermal underwear and so forth and so on. But to be able to do it with no instruments, with no radio, with no TV, no cell phone, without any camping equipment, and just put yourself out there. And not only that, but uh, as you know, the weather can change, and there's insects, and there's all kinds of wild animals, and temperature changes, as I've already stated. And to put yourself out there with nothing on, and to do that also in front of a complete stranger is again, can you put yourself out there without any boundaries? That is a perspective to look at this with, is that you're really putting yourself out there where no limits. I can proud of, of myself and have confidence in myself, and I don't need to hide behind anything, is a possible interpretation to all of this. And in Kurt's case, is that He's a very compassionate person, and he wants to put himself out there with clothes or without clothes, that you can count on him for some friendly advice and support going over the things that he loves, in including, as you know, your father likes to relax, not necessarily watching TV. He likes to play all kinds of games, whether it's video games or games on the computer, where they're, they're mind games. But it takes you away from the mind-boggling things that you do sometimes in the real world, but it keeps your skills very sharp because you're constantly keeping your brain in motion 
and thinking of different problems, you get that a lot of times out of uh, out of playing games. It's it's to me, it's not even where I, I just want to play just for the fun of it. I like to play and be the best at it and win. Okay, so it's it's good practice for life too, where you want to be able to be the best that you can be at whatever you do. What do you think about how he's gone to these uh, different events and interviewed hundreds of people? As he said, he wanted to build on his consistency and it feeds on itself is that he puts himself out there. And once he got started, it he got on a roll. And because he does his research and because he does have compassion and feelings for his guests, he also does something very similar to what you do is that you really want to get real with people and give everyone an opportunity to express themselves in a manner that is not condescending. I think that's the story right there. We were both talking about fathers and and what they mean to us and and being comfortable with his dad, really liking that they do things together, whether it's cooking or whether it's going on a fishing trip. That participation and getting wisdom that can be passed on is really part of his legacy also. He wants to be able to pass on information and we're trying to do the same thing. We're also trying to capture our experiences together and the experiences of others and trying to send a positive message and and to do it realistically and really in a in a supportive loving manner and hopefully we can all pass that on to the next generation is that we also want to be able to have our message as part of our legacy where it can be passed on even through future generations Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.